recording whoa let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby hey. let's all go to the lobby <laughs> wasn't that a piece of pizza that was cruising? like wasn't that a, was it pizza and soda i think it was like uh, a hamburger and a hot like, dog and, and, a, popcorn. and a popcorn box yes yeah kids for those of you that don't know there were these things called drive-ins back in the day and movie theaters and then these things called cereals in the front what were those? Right. Oh, I don't cereals. Mm. Are you googling? No. What are cere- Wait, 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 wait. What are cereals in the front? That's what they call. That's what they called the shorts in the front. They were cereals. Yeah, cereals. Uh, bumpers is and later another term, you know. Right. It, at drive-ins. Yeah. I yeah. Never heard that term. I lo- I'm learning something new. The dancing day. food, you know. Yep. Well, I know, like, okay, okay, so I know that, like we have a bumper, like we got bumpers in front, but a cereal that's what they yep. call those things back in the day with a C or an S cereal, like uh, S. I think it was actually S E R I A L. Oh. Yeah, yeah, get that straight, Steve. No, mm-hmm. no I, well, these are terms when I hear a word I don't know, I didn't know as tasty as the other cereal for sure, <laughs> or as in a number, that's another yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> Spelling, yeah, okay, interesting. Well, mm-hmm. see, kids, you learn again. You're learning something on the big bottom. Learn something on the big bottom. This was your virtual learning for the day. Steve, are you drinking the coffee, dude? I did. Well, it's empty now, but during the uh, podcast, Johnny Brook coffee. I drank the whole thing. It was. I have, uh, I have my um, so good coffee maker already prepped for tomorrow with with some Johnny Brook in it. Oh yeah, it's great coffee. So. So again, this is uh, Big Bottom Crew, Steve Araujo. John Moody. Uh, Tony Paleo. And who did we have this week on the show? We, um, Mr. Brian Beller. Incredible, talented, mm-hmm. ridiculous. So good. And I like how we got cerebral and you know talked about the current events yep. in a different kind of way, in a unique way. Yeah. Uh, that, was, that was interesting. We don't normally get serious because we're not always the most serious group of people but yeah. that was interesting true but but it's nice to to hear i mean you know this is this is real you know it, it, it's real reaction to events that are happening mm-hmm. so I, I think it's um yeah it it, it was good it, it's like oh, all right you know so and it seemed like he was very transparent and very honest which i know all of us you know we we all try to do that and be that so Nice to see it on the side of an artist, you know. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, and especially with, uh, you know, I mean, like professional musicians just took a, a hit, a huge hit. That's putting it. Yeah, that's putting it mildly. Yeah, still, mildly, yeah, very yeah. mildly. You know, so yeah, it's um, you know, we can only cross the fingers that stuff gets better. So anyway, so it, it, it was so to our bass player friends that are all into the gear and all that stuff. We don't get into that. Not a bunch on this one. Yeah, not that's a bunch. Lot. You know, there's a lot of Brian stuff that's out there, but we get into it a little bit later. We talk a little bit about recording and so forth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, just uh, enjoy the podcast. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and also, uh, Donnybrook Coffee, that's one of our sponsors. I know we talked to him, but let's mention them. Right. I, put, I put a little graphic and Donnybrook, but 
check them out. Fantastic stuff. Yeah. And uh, how are uh, how are you gents holding out? You guys doing well? You look. You guys look yeah. great. Yeah, doing good. Yeah, trying. Trying. We're all trying. Pre-production for my record, you know. Nice. nice. Very cool. I have an audition on Saturday, so great. Nail it, John. You're gonna kill it. You know, it's funny because I've been like uh, years ago. I'm sure you guys would all know. You'd be sitting there, be like, "Oh, I'm gonna kill it. It's gonna be fine." And, I'm, and this one, I'm sitting more, be like, "Okay." So they're looking for someone that's a smoking bass player, does background vocals, and can rap a little bit. And I'm sitting there, like, starting to grade myself and saying, "Okay, I can do this, this, this." Yeah. All right. I guess it comes. It really comes down to what, where do they set the priorities for each sure. of those things? Sure. You know, yeah. is it one of those that you want an A plus bass player and a beast? background vocalist yeah do they want a a background vocalist and a b bass player yeah so i mean i'm gonna go i'm gonna kick i'm gonna do it myself so i'm happy with how i did yeah and we'll leave the rest up to make make you know, sure I'm gonna that's a good point that's something that people don't talk about yeah. like if you're playing in a bigger pop band well you know they don't need the progressive guy on the seven string bass right Mm. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I thought all. about bringing the seven string just to screw with them for the first five minutes. Whoa. Yeah. That's funny. But it's a, it's a working band, 80s kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, so, big time. So I've done a bunch of that, and I am not a singer in any means, but I got a lot of gigs and kept a lot of gigs because I could sing a handful of tunes. Mm -hmm. My voice is not the crooner real singer. I can just do these character voices. So I was able to do right. Blink-182 the freaking adamant and it was nice it was passable it worked and i did some backgrounds but but at the same time i like you said i mean i'm c level singer i mean i just am mm -hmm. like i i know and i have so many friends that are a bass players and just ridiculously good at singing so right but it's just one of those things that dude you'll be fine and yeah yeah c minus singer C minus. I, I, I can. I'd give myself a solid B for backgrounds. There you go. You want me to do leads? No. Well, you can oh. probably pick a couple that actually suit that are like character, like right. character voices. That's that's all I did. I was like, okay, if I can mimic this, I can go. But by any means, was, <laughs> was right. it super Donny Hathaway, Stevie Wonder ass? I remember singing lead for like Stray Cat Strut and stuff Dude, like that way right. back in the day. Yeah, I, I used to, to do rock, that. Yeah, Rock This Town was one of my jams. <laughs> Uh, you know? Set three. <laughs> yeah, dude, exactly. No, but that's awesome. Oh, but John, what um, you have a bass there that we were going to talk oh. about. Let's talk about that bass. Oh, you want to talk about that bass real quick? Yeah, okay, why not? Let's talk about it because because all of us have had different um, uh, experiences we'll, with. We'll put it this way. This is an M2000. Yes. Actually, I believe from the number uh, on the neck, it was a 2012. Nice. All right. This neck is not. Yeah. Did you know I sent that out to him, Tony? I do. I do. I saw yeah. all the, I saw so, the, the text. I'm aware. Yeah. So it's roasted, roasted goodness. I love roasted. Yeah. I, I like it. And it's interesting because, you know, roasting on the neck usually scoops the sound a little bit, yeah. but given that, you know, the, the MFDs usually are a little mid forward. It's almost like they really work together really, really well. That's great. I I have not tried or heard the M series with the roasted. Now my curiosity is peaked. 
Possibly. Yeah, I'll have to get you some more audio files. I find the high end. I mean, we you? all play a little bit different. Yeah. For my aggressive right hand, I notice I notice that it mellows out the highs. Mm -hmm. Absolute high yeah. highs, just a touch. Right. It it feels like it brings the G string more in line with the rest of the strings. Nice. That's fantastic. I'm glad. Are you going to use that for the audition? I'm thinking so. Yeah. I mean, the, the only issue is. Uh, what is it? We're doing Don't Stop Believing in E-flat. Actually, I found out um, easiest thing to do, too and it's bad. not too hard, um, drop the drop the E string to E-flat, okay. not D, to E-flat. And it's not that hard to um, adjust your fingering because it's pretty close to the original. Dude, that's pretty cool. I like it. Interesting. So that's what I'll probably do. And so, yeah, if I get the gig, maybe it'll be one of those where I uh, put a uh, detuner on that just to nice. save me a little time. Nice. That's cool. And yeah, and the other thing about the roasted is they look fantastic. It looks cool. They look killer. Yeah, they look killer. beautiful. I, I, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm getting more and more little lenient. Like the more I'm playing, I'm like, all right, they, they actually are pretty cool. So, right. So yeah, and there's Tony's. TP, and that's all roasted. Also, yeah, the TP R five, TP five. Now is that, and then you do gloss, Tony. You're you. I like did gloss. gloss. The gloss darkens it up a little bit. And the yeah. next one, we made a decision uh, to not gloss. We're going to use a satin finish. Satin finish. Nice. That Pat Wilkins will be doing. Oh, nice. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah, that's cool. I'm glad I got that out. And yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you're trying that out. That's interesting. Yeah, man. I'd love to hear your your opinion on it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, right on. Well, I just wanted to ask about it. Well, guys, enjoy Brian. Yeah. yeah. Enjoy Brian. Enjoy Brian, guys. All right, let's uh, let's. Uh, I, I don't know what to say. Let's check out. Let's check off. Sign off. Let's sign off. Uh, there you go. And let's put cereal on the ends, not bumper. <laughs> let's watch Brian Beller. Let's watch Brian Beller. Cereal. Now I need my mask. Cereal bumper. Right. Oh my God, Tony, uh, uh, sign us off there, brother. Brother. Ah, blah, blah, brother. Um, we'll see you later. Enjoy Brian Beller episode two, three. Two, three. We'll see you guys. All right, we're stop recording. Hold, hold that story for a second. Hold that story. Oh, it's, now oh, tell it's, us this story. It's recording. It's good. Boom. Recording. Oh, well then. Hey, hi. Hi, everyone. I think this is uh, the Big Bottom Podcast episode 23, correct? I believe it's 23. Sure. Yeah. With the one and only Brian Beller. He's down there for me. He's right uh, below yeah, me. Yeah, actually, yep. He's down there. <laughs> He's, I'm, waving. I'm waving high, but my hand is lost in the clouds. There it is. Wow. Yeah. Is the eye of now? I I don't watch these movies, but I did have to sit through them. Is is the eye of Zoran? Zorn? Zorn? Zern? Behind that? <laughs> that's fuck the fuck. Is that the, the, is that the no. Dutch Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah. That, that's it. The Tower movie. That's the fucking eye of Zorn. That's that. Oh, so, you know, John and I are very movie. geeky, and Steve is not. So now, you know, I'm geeky. The I just power movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, this wow. is actually uh, this backdrop is the uh, is the backdrop to the uh, cover of my most recent solo album. Nice, even that's, but, I like that. So I am, that's awesome. I have nothing if not practical when it comes to promoting these things. <laughs> mm. I love Brian, it. Can tell us the, the title of that record, please? It's called Scenes from the Flood. Uh, 
it came out in uh, in, to, in September 2019. All right. And uh, you know, back on it now. The premise of the album uh, was essentially that, uh, and it's, it focuses on an individual story. Uh, but the premise is that uh, you know we we go into these into our life's adventures uh, filled with vim and vigor and 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 optimism and purpose and uh, and and a, with a vision and, uh, and things to accomplish. And then you know life happens, and then not just life happens, but then a cataclysmic event happens. The kind of thing that only really happens like once or twice in your life. And then uh, what does that do to your worldview? Uh, does your optimism and your original plan survive the storm, which is, uh, you know, the, the, the climactic track of the first half of the album. Uh, and basically it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a question on human nature. I know it's not like really easy listening topics here or anything like that, but, uh, you know, it starts off in a very optimistic place. And then you just kind of keep going down and down and down in this journey where things get more and more and more complicated. And then in the end, you just kind of have to figure out where you stand in all this while human nature does human nature things. Mm. And we've seen a lot of that lately. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's a difficult uh, concept for me to kind of summarize in a minute, but having watched 2020, it was like, well, yeah, that's what I was trying to say. Got it. That's cool. <laughs> I think I know the concept of that topic actually, you know, I think a, a lot of people do. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, I mean, when it comes to a concept album, it was a double progressive double concept album, and I really wanted it to be about something big. I felt like it had been 11 years since I put out a solo album, and I wanted to see something big. It didn't really have that much to do with bass other than making sure the bass was right for the song. Because my favorite prog bands have always been the more composition-oriented ones rather than the uh, than the kind of muso ones. So, like, Pink Floyd is, is a huge prog band for me because the mm -hmm. songwriting and the vibe is always just so powerful uh and yes as well just because their compositional aspect is always i felt like you know even though those guys can all play uh it's really about all of them playing together in those crazy songs that they write uh, and i think you know that separates them maybe from uh from some other progressive bands who are a little bit more about just kind of like you know, we're all gonna play technically now but together have you ever heard of osric tentacles I have, and uh, I haven't gone deep into them, but I know that they're, uh, you know, that, that that they're that they're deep into the scene. It's kind of to my discredit that I am not as familiar with them as I should be. What's Go down a rabbit hole. They're the truly my favorite, and bass is like tertiary, like you know, way down on the yeah. bottom of the list for those guys. Yeah. What's the name of the band? Again? Composition. Osric Tentacles. Osric. O z r e t. Osric. Uh, o z r i c. Oh, Osric. Osric. Hmm. Oh, Osric. Osric, Boston accent. Come on, get well, like every like, you know, it's one of those words Osric. you know. Osric, right. I use. I'll have a large yeah. Osric with the fries, please. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> nice. So anyway, yeah, I mean, um, I think that one, you know, one of the things that we all have had to grapple with in the last year, and and I was spending a lot of time thinking about in 2017, 18, and 19 when I was demoing and writing the album, is that okay? Let's just say that you know you have big plans and then a bunch of stuff happens and then you know uh, something really really kind of earth shattering happens to you uh and you you never really kind of look at life and human nature the same way again but where does that leave you you know does that you're gonna walk around and be like well that's it i'm completely isolating and everything sucks it's it's not it's not really that it's that somehow you know even though the world is highly highly imperfect uh and and trying to 
you know, I think that there are, I think it will be, uh, it will be endlessly frustrating to kind of go through life just thinking like everything is just the way that it should be. Uh, because it's not, let's just face it, it's not. That's my view anyway. But then you get to the end point of that and it's like, well, where am I in this? You know, am I, you know, so where can I find a place to stand? Where can I find something fulfilling? Where can I find something that motivates me, that moves me, that brings me happiness, that gives me purpose in the middle of this maelstrom of energy that makes no sense at all and is, I mean, just capricious would be putting it mildly, would be the way that, you know, the way that six or seven billion humans, you know, behave on one single planet. No, that makes sense. Uh, I'm glad we had this little talk. No, I mean, it's, it's heavy. It's heavy, and I, I know for you, that's still like an ongoing thing, right? I mean, yeah. And I, I think that one of the things that evolves is that uh, you know human beings want to, almost by nature, believe in something big. You know, you, you it, it, because it's all so confusing and complex. If someone comes along and says, "This is the answer." your brain starts to want to rewire to, to accept that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it will start filtering out other things. In, in a day and age where uh, digital communication is so prevalent and immediate, uh, the way that groups of humans in, at the community level, the family level, or the society level can, can you know, start to develop attitudes that change uh, quickly and believe certain things uh, is so much more rapid than it used to be. And, you know, after a while, uh, there just starts to become this, this unreality. And you, it's, it's, it's easy to fall into that. Uh, but I think at some point, you just kind of have to look at it all with a cold eye and go, does this really make sense? Everything, everything fits into this box because this people or this person or these people are saying that it all makes sense because X. Is that really, really true? You know, to, to not accept that is more complicated than it is to accept that, I think, in a lot of ways. Uh, but that's not the way that humans really want to behave. So as an individual, and I think also, especially as a creative artist, you know, navigating that is tricky. And, you know, sometimes something happens that just comes out of the blue and, and you know, one day your life is one way and the next day your life is completely different. It happens to everybody. Right? Life. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's like you can't even remember what it was like before that thing happened, whatever it was. Yeah. Well, look what COVID did, you know? Yeah. I mean, look at look at this. You know, look at that curveball. My whole life went Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, not just me, but like, you know. And, and it permeates down to every level. It permeates down to the individual level in yourself. And then, and then the next level up would be maybe in your, uh, in your romantic relationship, which is just one-to-one. -one. And then in your family, which is maybe the immediate family, one to four, one to five. And then maybe in your workplace environment, one to 10 or 20, or if it's a big company, a lot more. Uh, and then your community and your town. And then finally, your state, your country, you know, and then the highest level, you know, all these concentric circles of reactions and interreactions to something like this uh, are a lot for someone to try and just take in and make sense of it all. And, so, and the answer is sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. And, and then what do you do with that? So based on that then, and since we're talking kind of higher level and theoretical and 
somewhat esoteric. Where do you see everything happening six months from now? What do you predict in our little music community? I, 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 in the music community? In general, in general, well, in your I, own words. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm out of the prediction business. A lot of things I thought I knew. Uh, you have an eight ball there. I see it. I see it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of things I thought I knew uh, a few years ago, I, I realized that I that I didn't know or had very, very, very wrong. And that was that's part of the reason why I wrote the album, was my own reckoning with the things that I thought were true that were actually not, uh, were things that I thought that worked and were not. So uh, I don't know what's coming, you know, three, six, nine months from now on the grand scale. Uh, but I know that human beings will continue to human being and, you know, Shit will continue to be fucked up and bullshit. <laughs> and, uh, and also there will be some cool things. There'll be some funny things. Everyone will have shared experiences we can all laugh at. There will be small tragedies. There will be big tragedies. You know, these, these things are just, just endless. So uh, I am going to continue to try, for me anyway, and try and find a place where I can be fulfilled and satisfied and, you know, and interact with a, a circle of people who, you know, bring me happiness and joy and not the other way around. I'm almost 50 years old and uh, you do get to choose. Uh, I think, I think when, you know, when you're in your twenties, you don't always realize that you do get to choose the people who you interact with, don't interact with. Mm -hmm. you, know, you just feel like you kind of have to interact with the whole world, but you don't. Well, <laughs> you don't. I, well, what would you think about the, um, the comment then um, one of the mottos I learned after, after my, one of my big, um, you know, floods, so to speak is, you are the average of your five closest friends. Disagree. Yeah. Yeah, because the circumstances on 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 how those friends became your friends are just they're endlessly randomized. I mean, there's some validity to it. I think maybe you know because you attract a certain kind of energy to you, and it, it's unlikely that they'll be completely one hundred percent unlike you. Mm -hmm. But uh. But it depends on the individual too, because yeah. some people mm -hmm. can jive with only people that believe in their beliefs, and some people can jive with people that are a lot more mixed, and so it really depends on the person too. So, yeah, yeah welcome to twenty twenty on that one. I'm not big on grand theories. Yeah, yeah. these days. Uh, but uh, for the music business, I think that it's you know we can we can predict with some uh, level of confidence that when enough people are vaccinated, mass gatherings will return. And I mean, time. Are, it, it's just people don't realize or enough people don't realize we were the first ones to get hit and we will be the last ones to come back. Yep. You're in the live event business. You are just, no one's coming back later than us. So by the time we get back to doing what we're doing, it's then it's over. <laughs> You know, and then we we're, we'll all move on from there. Uh, if uh, you know, if, if things all somehow stumble forward in the right direction, then sometime in the fall, uh, a majority of people will be vaccinated. And I'm already hearing, you know, scuttlebutt in the industry at the you know the big tours that everybody's looking at fall 2021, but nobody's guaranteeing anything. Uh, I mean, like for example. I have tours that were postponed, you know, uh, from spring of 2020. Uh, and then like some of them were pushed back nine months, 12 months. Everybody thought, wow, that's really conservative. And guess what? They're going to get pushed again. You know, if you didn't push back 18 months, yeah. that wasn't enough. 
I mean, there's always going to be the uh, the rumblings of, you know, optimistic, you know, because I talked to, you know, some artists here and there. I was talking to one of our artists in Nashville, and he said that one of their big rehearsal venues for the big acts are actually some acts are beginning to rehearse there for upcoming shows. But then again, you know, it's like it's it's optimistic. Who knows? Still, I mean, it when? Happening the summer, so, who knows? I don't, so right now. They're at least getting together and rehearsing. Optimistic. Again, hopeful, optimistic. Uh, you know. Optimistic. So, who knows? But better than nothing. Everybody knows that in, being an independent musician is a tough hustle. I mean, yeah. like, you know, just no one knows more than us. Yeah. Uh, even under good circumstances, it's a tough hustle. No one knows you anything. No one's, you know, sitting there thinking you're some kind of essential service. Yeah. Yeah. So... When something like this happens and we all got knocked out, uh, I mean, I think it's amazing that in the last uh, congressional relief bill that there was $15 billion that was specifically earmarked for venues and agents. Did you know that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, That's great. Did, you, did you watch the hearing? I didn't watch the hearing, no, but I heard the highlights. Yeah. It, it, was, it was, you know, uh, it was fascinating because, you know, with all the bullshit going on, there they were, you know, the, the hearing was chaired by some Republican senator from Kansas who was going on and on about venues in Lawrence. You know, and I played, I think Liberty Hall is the venue in Lawrence, Kansas. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a big club. Everybody's played there. And uh, and Amy Klobuchar was going on about First Avenue in Minneapolis. And, you know, John Corn is going on about Sixth Street in Austin. And I mean, you know, suddenly everybody was acting like, okay, yeah, we can just all get together and just do this. So there was a nice thing. Yeah. Like, you know, why can't we have more nice things? I mean, it's a question that no one's really able ever to answer, but that happened. Uh, but that happened at, look where it happened. It happened at like at the, 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 the high venue level. Like how did the aid actually get to musicians who were working? Right. You know, I mean, it, it, there, there was some unemployment, you know, independent contractor stuff that got to people, but not enough and not to most. And, you know, by the time this is over, you know, maybe they'll get this new thing happening in April, but generally we're all on our own, all trying to figure it out. And uh, that's just part of life in the big city, right? Where we decided to be musicians, you know, we're not uh, in the, uh, we're not in the airline industry. We're not in the, in the military. We're not in the government. We're not in, in some of these things that, you know, society, there's, there's guardrails for these people. There's no real guardrails for us, but of course, that's kind of why we did this, right? Mm -hmm. Hold on. We knew what we were getting into. <laughs> <laughs> did we? Hold did on. we though? <laughs> yeah, a lot of friends of mine said, well, "Why don't you try?" I'm like, "I don't know what else to do." Yeah, I could do some other things, but like, this is such a defined part. I just can't easily walk away. Tony, did you go to college? I did. I did. I did go to Berkeley and dropped out. And then I went to engineering school, so you know. smart. You didn't didn't pay for four years of tuition, unlike me. <laughs> yeah, we were probably there. Uh, God, what year did you go? Eighty nine to ninety two. Okay, I was there right before you. So, and eighty eight, and I got a fight, uh, freshman year, uh, with a big, big German kid that would have kicked my butt if it didn't get separated, and. Uh, do you remember back at that time, 
like the the like the hardcore like real jazzers would like make fun of like the little rock and roll kids, right? Totally. You know, totally. Berkeley's like American Idol school now. They don't know what it was it like. Was brutal, brutal. Yeah. Like, I, like, I was like this little, not built like I'm at, like, at all now. I was like this little skinny, long-haired guy. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, but I had a big mouth. <laughs> and uh, get picked up by, uh, like, these, these jazzers, and I got into it. And then I remember coming home on Thanksgiving break and told my dad, I want to go to engineering school and uh, want to go to Devil E. I want to become a Devil E. I want to get an electrical engineer. And he's like, yeah, sure, sure. You want to know? You want to leave music school? Okay, fine. No, whatever you want. You know, he's, and uh, that's that was the path. And then I just gig and and, and studied with people. Are you, out. Are you an EE? I was. Yeah, I had a, I got a double E. Yeah. So forever it took me forever. You know. So I just played in local bands and went on tour and played with Carly Simon and you know did these other other shows and but Do come back and take some more classes. So. Do you modify your own like preamps and shit like that just for fun? None, zero, none. I can I can solder pretty good, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I don't get into that. I know enough to know the numbers and say, uh, "Hey, Carrie, can we do this?" You know what I mean? Have, you know, um, or behind a board, let's drop this frequent. You know what I mean? Like like any musician, but um, no, I don't get it. I, I can I can do minor repair, minor. Solder is one of my favorite words with a New England accent, by the way. Uh, that I have. <laughs> Solder. <laughs> Where now? Did you live in the dorms? Uh, only for a year. Uh, I I lived in uh, in the main dorm, in that fucking hovel, one fifty Mass Ave before they rebuilt it. Mm. <laughs> what? A, I mean, it's Who's so nice now. Have you seen the dorms lately? They're crazy. They're absolutely crazy. I mean, wow. But, you know, back when we were there. So, yeah, I was there for a year and then I moved out. I, I lived on Symphony Road, you know, right right across the street from Symphony Hall. So I moved down by Studio TCB with a, and uh, right down, right, almost right around the corner from Fenway Park. I lived there for a little bit, you know. Yep. Was, but I only, I mean, I grew up. On the other side of the Fenway. Yeah, like I yeah, I grew, I grew up only ten miles away in Stone. I'm like just you know I grew up close. Like I am a Boston kid, so yeah. you know, I kept on driving home so much. My my dad's like, just commute. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it was it was ridiculous to spend all that money to, to kind of. I mean, I, I'm grateful. It was I have nothing but good things to say about Berkeley because I learned almost everything I know about really kind of getting to the professional level by being around other Berkeley musicians, teenagers, and especially the ones from Europe, uh, who had the advantage of being in magnet high schools, of course, you know, uh, which the American public school system didn't really do. Mm. You know, I mean, I was growing up and I was like trying to find a better way to get involved in school music and there just wasn't any, there was nothing. And this was a good school district and a nice town and all that shit. And there just wasn't much going on. If I had been in like France or Germany or something like that, or Sweden, I would have been put picked up into some kind of magnet school by seventh or eighth grade and would have been learning jazz theory and harmony and playing with other musicians of that caliber, you know, when I was much younger. 
Instead, I got to Berkeley thinking that I knew what I was doing. And then when I was 18 or 19, you know, got there and then saw the real people, you know, the, the cream of the crop from around the world. And I was like, whoa. Your eyes go like this. You're like, whoa. Oh, and then they let you know they're the cream of the crop. Hands down. Yeah. Yeah. So. But that was, you know, it was, it, it was, it was, it was, it was really good. It's just, you know, uh, the idea is to learn as fast as you can and get out and then start gigging. You know, no, no one's going to give you a gig because you show them your Berkeley degree. <laughs> I'll never forget. It was, I can't forget the, uh, I wish I could remember the name of the professor for like the theory 101 class, uh, getting on the table and sitting Indian style on the table and said, the only reason why you, you guys are here right now is because you're not out playing for a living. And that stuck in my head, you know, big time. Uh, have you spent any time in Nashville? I've only been there a handful of times, actually. I've been there. You guys? Yeah, I've been there. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a very, very uh, different scene. It's like I, I remember when I, uh, when I got, was in LA, and uh, I was working at SWR, and I wasn't really playing full time. When I was between ages twenty nine and thirty four, I was only playing part time, and uh, I was already starting to get to be too old for certain gigs. When I was thirty three. You know, they're, 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 they're scouting these bands, you know, to go out with the new artists and they, they want the, the really hip 20 somethings. And then I moved to Nashville in 2005, I was 34. And I went from being too old to not being old enough. Mm -hmm. And the, the people who had all the serious gigs in town were like 20 years older than me. Yeah. I was like, what's that about? So, I, you know, I started working my way in there, although I never did really successfully work my way in there because eventually I got the a Steve I gig and then the metal band gig. And then that, uh, after I got those gigs, I swear to God, my Nashville gig phone never rang again. Not once, <laughs> not one call. But uh, in 2005, 2007, I was kind of working my way in and uh, some old crusty dude goes to me. Goes, so I, I hear you went to Berkeley. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's true. He goes, well, didn't seem to hurt you, Annie. That's funny. <laughs> yep. Thanks. Yeah. Right. I, I, I think. <laughs> Crazy. Basketball stories, not all of which are appropriate for the podcast. <laughs> I mean, this is, we've said many times, this thing is unedited. I mean, Tony Paleo's on here, for God's sake. That's already at a PG-13 rating before he... I don't he have an edit button, man. I don't. I don't. At this point in my life, yeah. we shouldn't. I don't. Don't care. Not worried. You know? All right. All right. Well, so, uh, an uh, older uh, country artist who shall remain nameless... Uh, on tour. How old was he? Uh, and uh, on tour, and you know, uh, bus full of guys, and one of the guys is 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 younger than the rest. And apparently, he had a girlfriend. And, you know, he's on the road, they're talking a lot. And the guys are giving him a lot of you know, giving him a lot of shit, teasing him and everything. And uh, the artist kind of caught wind of it, so he comes up to them and he goes, "I watch him. Why give this boy so much hell?" Yeah, and they go, oh, well, you know him over here. You know he's a little bit PW. Mm. 
Yeah, he's just talking to his girlfriend all the time. He's a little bit PW. And the artist, as the story goes, says, Well, boys, last I checked, Pussy was undefeated. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to just get, you know, flamed so hard for that. <laughs> for, 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 you know, because there's much no, worse has come out here. Much, much worse. No basis out there are just going to be like, you know, cancel this guy. <laughs> That was not you saying it was the artist. It was the that's story. right. I was just relaying the story of one of my oh, one of go. my Nashville stories. Yeah. You were just busting the. Busting I'll take it one step more. If uh, they oh, no. plan on canceling, oh, fuck here we go. go. <laughs> you know, f them. Yeah. but I mean, like you know, I, I'm uh, I'm very very progressive uh, when it comes to politics and, and social policy and all the rest. So you know, it's like telling a story like that. I didn't think much of it 15 years ago when I first heard the story. Yeah. And now I tell it, I'm like, is that is that problematic? <laughs> like, is that is that is that problematic for me to have said that? I mean, it happened, and uh, and the artist was probably 70 years old yeah. in 2005. You know, uh, it's a different time. People say different things back, you know. So. Yeah. Uh, what's really interesting. I think is uh, you the way that you process information and conversations really does change over time. I mean, like I can't believe that I'm going to be 50 years old this year. And on the other hand, I can't imagine what it would be like to be 30 again. I I, I just you know you're growing up in a in a world with a set of concepts, and then they shift slowly, but then really uh, not so slowly. Suddenly you wake up and like everything's different. It's something, you know, something that you thought, and again, I'm back to the record now, you know, something that I thought was a certain way really wasn't a certain way, or I didn't really look at it, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. There's just so much, now I sound like, you know, old man yelling at clouds, but there's just so much naivete. Yeah. Uh, Keep yelling. <laughs> there's right, so right. much naivete in the world. It's hard to even know where to begin right. to, to start unpacking it all. And then at the same time, not sounding like, well, just fuck all this. Because that's not really where, I, that's not what I'm trying to yeah. come off as. It's uh, just, uh, there's just, there's just a lot. There's just a lot that life has to show you is what I've learned over the years. Where did you grow up? Out here? I, I, grew, I grew up in New Jersey. New Jersey, okay. Oh, yeah, okay. Back east, right? Uh, I grew up in suburban New Jersey, Westfield. Okay. Very, very nice town. Uh, bedroom community uh, for the professional class who commuted to New York City. And uh, it was, I found it very, very uh, stifling. Mm. There was not really room for somebody like me there. If I had wanted to go to an Ivy League school or I wanted to get into financial services or be a lawyer or some part of the professional class, there was a lot of opportunity, but to just want to be a musician, there was just no real box for it. And it was still of the era where it was kind of frowned upon, or, and generally that was just because parents were, and were just scared that you weren't going to be able to make a living. It wasn't so much that like they thought you were going to go off and like join a satanic cult. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, how, how are you going to eat? Uh, yeah. So uh, I ended up going to Boston to Berkeley College of Music uh, after that was over. 
after high school was over. I spent four years in Boston, and then I went right to Los Angeles. And then as soon as I got to Los Angeles, I knew I was where I was supposed to be. <laughs> nice. You know, it was like the West, the the feeling of LA about how you know it's really a choose your own adventure city. It doesn't have an institutional identity like New York and Chicago, uh, in St. Louis, uh, and Boston, uh, it, it, it's, it's identity is constantly evolving. And that's because the people who are coming there are constantly evolving, leaving and going and leaving and going. And, coming. and so like this melting pot of, yeah, I, I, I felt like, you know, you could be really free to be whoever the hell you want to be out here. Uh, and also I'm a big fan of open spaces and big sky and mountains and there's a way, you know, if you want to live in the mountains, you know, around New York City, where are you going to go? You know, like the Poconos, Port Jervis, Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Pennsylvania, you know, you, you got to you got to get right kind of really far out there. And it's not really practical. Whereas here you can be kind of close to the things you need to be close to. And it kind of feels like you're in the middle of nowhere, which is cool. And, and I like that a lot. So environmentally and also culturally, uh, LA is the place for me. Yeah. By the way, I got to tell you, uh, I just had a conversation with someone that said, hi, Spencer says, hi. Oh, hi, Spencer. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. My little community. Yeah. Good people. We were literally just chatting before this, uh, before the podcast, actually. So that's why my hair's still wet because it was off in the shower before. Yeah. I was just talking to him, you know. He's great. I'm so happy for the move that he's made into the role he's taken. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Hey, I'm dependent on sunlight here, and uh, the sun is going down, so uh, give me a second where I can adjust the lighting. All right, cool. Hold on. All right. Let me see the sky. Whoa. Oh, he, he took off into the sky. <laughs> That's rad. I hear some music in the background. You hear, do you guys hear any music in the background? I have some sort of little like intermission. Is that what you're saying, Steve? No, yeah, exactly. Put it right here. I'm not sure. There it is. So how much it helps, but uh, I don't have. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, okay. um, Brian, do you have a noise gate on that mic? No. Because it cuts off and I hear music. When you start talking, I hear music in the background. Really? Hold on. Oh, it, it just, maybe it's just ambient sound. Maybe it's just amp. That's better. Did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's all right. <laughs> yeah, there's just some ambient. That, that's okay. Some, like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's good. It's all uh, good. Yeah, I... I... I have it programmed so whenever I walk away from the microphone, it starts going. Beautiful, beautiful. Nice, nice. So, I have speaking of all this stuff, have you heard anything about going back to rehearsals or anything with the band, or is it just kind of? Yeah, Me? yeah, Brian. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, no, huh? No, not my world. Yeah. Okay. I mean, but my main two gigs. First of all, you know the aristocrats. Mm -hmm. Guthrie's over in the UK, so we're fucked yeah. until this is all over. Uh, and uh, and as far as Joe Satriani is concerned, you know he's very he's pretty conservative. I mean, you know he's not like trying to be like on the absolute first guy out. You know he wants to be safe. He feels responsible for the people he takes on the road. Yeah, yeah. 
and uh, we're working on a studio recording. You know, we're doing a, a remotely recorded album for Joe Satriani. It's the first time he's ever done that of, of, in terms of a Joe Satriani album yeah. in his entire career. So it's actually really exciting, and I look forward to it because I might, you know, it's like everybody else. I have an opportunity to kind of like get the home studio, you know, leveled up. Right. I don't have the most expensive setup or anything like that, but you know, I, you know, now I have a desk with two different machines and monitors and a little mixer and, uh, and a little Apollo and uh, you know all, all you my need. all. Kidding me? That's all you need. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, really don't need more than that, man. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't have like a like a gigantic rack of outboard gear or anything like that. I've got an Apollo. I use the 1073 console, you know, mic pre plugin and the UA1176. And I have a clean channel and I have a dirty channel. It goes through a dark glass Alpha Omega. And that's and every once in a while I'll plug in the pedal board and do a kind of weird thing, but not very often. And that's it. Do you use mm -hmm. the unison? Use the 11, use the unison in. Unison. I'm not even sure I know what you mean. Oh, dude. Okay. So the Apollo, you plug straight in, and you pull down on your console Apollo menu. You know where you have your inserts. Those are just the regular things. But right above, it's this thing called unison. And if you pick that, there's preamps and stuff that you can use that is literally like plugging into a 1076, an 1173. Try Unison. It'll blow your I mean, mind. I have an older Apollo. I'm not even sure. That's what, No, no, no. I think it'll no. it'll probably work. If you're going straight in. I mean, I have a twin. and But yeah. if you're not using That's what I have. Use the Unison. Trust yeah. me. I, I Tim LaFay, I, he came and did a recording. And, he, and I was recording. He's like, dude, how are you recording this? And I said, dude, using the unison. And he was like, whoa, it's there. Just trust me. It's literally like plugging right into whatever preamp. Not everything is available via unison, but the things that are are yeah. fucking amazing. Cool. So, I'm getting darker. I'm getting darker. Hold on. <laughs> it's fine. I see you fine, and it'll, yeah. yeah. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to go. the lobby. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> I've got a, I've got a weird lamp up here. I need, I need to get one of those. You know, have you seen the, the little circle lights that everybody? Uses? Oh yeah. Or get some oh, of these yeah. lights. These are cheap. There's like seventy nine for two of these things. That's yeah. I mean, I have uh, softbox uh, lights, but not here. They're, yeah. they're down. And uh, the thing is, is that my desk faces the outside. So I have, I mean, if you can't see this, this view that I have right now, but it's, it's pretty astounding. It's great. It's, it's this wide mountain vista. So the desk points here against the wall and a big window and it can't put the, it, I can't put the, uh, the light behind it unless I rig up something crazy. Hopefully this will work for the rest of the event here. So let's get geeky for a second. You were telling us a little bit about the, uh, your recording setup for, for Joe's record. Um, you know, using like a clean and dirty channel and the Alpha Omega. I didn't know that you were using the dark glass stuff. Uh, that's pretty cool, actually. Uh, if my system wasn't so old, I could use the neural DSP dark glass plugins, but I'm running Pro Tools 10 on a 2013 Mountain Lion Mac. And, Ooh. Yeah. But you know what? It works. It does everything I need. It, right. You know, and yes, I've thought about like, you know, doing the big upgrade and everything like that, but <clears throat> I wouldn't do it on that machine because that machine is where my solo album all lives. Mm -hmm. If I was to upgrade it, the whole thing would go kablooey. You know how that goes. So uh, so I leave that alone and I've been using it and I'm just going to keep, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to run out and spend a bunch of money that I don't need to spend right now, frankly. Uh, mm -hmm. But I know that there's, you know, that there's, there's nicer stuff out there. Anyway, you know, a lot of times, 
the mix engineer is the one who's going to uh, make the determination on what the best bass sound is going to be. Just give them a DI. Yeah. So you give them a clean DI, you know, mm -hmm. and then you give them a dirty channel. They want to use a grave. They want to do something else. Great. I don't care. You know, I'm just, I'm just there to, to provide the foundation for the song. Unless they're calling out some kind of really fancy sound. I'm generally not going for fancy sounds. Well, you know, I keep it simple too. I, I modified my setup from three lines to two. And I used to like a mic rig. You know, I used to like micing the GK and so forth. Yep. I found a whole new setup, man. It's very simple as well. It's two lines. I'm using, the, the obviously I use the tube ready because I love the tube. I love that, that DI specifically. So out of my pedal board, always committing with compression, which I know is weird, but it's something I prefer. And then I use oh, input compression and for bass. You have to have input compression. I play like an idiot. My right hand's like, you know, really hard. So I need it. Um, but a lot of guys don't use compression. They don't commit going in, but I do. I always oh, use it. Uh, and I, I should have mentioned, I have a, in front of everything, a, a, a Neve RNDI. Nice. Oh, so it's not a gun tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. It's not a, so I don't have the big, you know, the big tube guy. Yeah. But you know, they're cool. Uh, I find same reason I don't go for mic caps, unless it's an actual studio recording where I'm playing with a band and, and it's something else. You know, I, I just I'm always looking for the immediacy and the impact of the no. Uh, in today's digital recordings, especially remote recordings, that's that's the currency of the realm, I think. So. Uh, I try not to complicate it uh, with too much air around the note. Mm -hmm. At least on the way in. I did find something that does do it, though, that does simulate the mic thing really well that guitar players use all the time. And that's what I was going to say. My second line is the uh, I take a GK head into the two note audio to act as like a DI load so I can use an IR of a GK cabinet. And it nails the sound of my amp rig without having to use mics and lines and is the room okay, you know? So, um, yeah, I, I, it's consistent. <clears throat> that stuff works and, you know, when you're at home, it, it's, it, it does end up being about something that you can just rely on as opposed to like event recording. Like when, when the aristocrats went in the studio last time, I brought, when I, I can't stand recording in studios and monitoring bass. It's the worst thing in the world. You know, it's like we're used to standing in front of these big cabinets when you play live. Suddenly the drummer still gets to play his big loud drums. The guitarist rig still has their guitar rig there, but your bass rig can't be there because that'll ruin everything. And, and it doesn't feel the same. And I know that, you know, your, your little your little 12 inch combo that maybe you sit on or some kind of rumble seat to give yourself that. And, and you know, so anyway, because it's our band and I, I didn't give a shit. I brought my uh, 810 rig to the studio and just set it up in the in the ISO booth. I didn't have it very loud, but it felt like I was standing in front of my rig. And so that was one channel, we mic that, but it also really affected the way that I played, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, and then there were two different TIs. There was a tube DI and a solid state DI. Uh, and then there was a, uh, a post pedal board DI which was just in case I decided to throw anything on and I could be creative at any moment uh, without having to kind of like reroute everything. Uh, and you could hear that, that there's a, that, that it was big. And then also there was this, you know, 
there was a tiny bit of drum bleed with the guitar and a tiny bit of bass bleed to the drums. And there was a little bit of that kind of live band feeling, uh, which was cool. You could still edit, even if like, you know, you, I mean, I think people get a little too crazy about that. Like, you know, it's like, oh my God. I man. love that. I leave the bleed. I like it. Yeah. If you can leave a little bit of that, you still got freedom to, to, to slice and dice if you really need to. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, and that was the last, it's funny because it had been a while since I had gone the full, oh yeah, we're gonna make a cab and take three different lines and all the rest of that stuff. <laughs> it did end up being cool and it did enhance it, but it's just kind of not practical in the, in the COVID era. Is it? No, that's why I picked up a two-line system so I can still make it sound like an app and use a 2BI. I'm like, yay, this is good, you know? Yeah, so. yeah. Are you using the new base for a lot of the new stuff, the new the new model? Uh, well, you know, it's funny. I, uh, I do different things for recording than I do live sometimes. Uh, so uh, if I want the sound of that really kind of raw Michael Active Jazz. I can always reach for that. I've got the, you know, I've got my M5s. Uh, but I, I tend to use uh, the Spectres when I'm recording, especially metal and ha and hard heavy rock. They just, the Spectre EMG thing just does a thing where it just kind of cuts through the mix uh, and sits in a very specific spot. I can do that with my Michael uh, BBM F5 as well. And I have a live recording with the Aristocrats where when I, when I play live, uh, that's what I want. Even if I want that sound, I still choose a mic bowl because they feel amazing to me. They're the best feeling instruments I've ever played. Yes. I love the Spectres, uh, but they never feel completely 100% like comfortable. Because they always feel a little bit alien. Uh, it, the, the standard string spacing is too small. And then when you order a wide, it's just so big. It, it, you know, there's ideally there was something in between. And the the Michael BBM F5 actually does that. It, it, it has a spacing that's in between those two sizes. It's what like 17 small. and a half or something like that? Yeah, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's it's slightly smaller than your typical Michael uh, 5, which is a standard five string spacing. And I think the Spectre wide is actually bigger than that for some reason. I'm not quite sure why. But anyway, uh, that's a specific uh, uh, studio thing. And I think that and also, I mean, I'll do anything in a studio. I have a P bass, you know, I even, I even have a Zon that used to belong to Doug Lunn, uh, who is a, a great late bass player who used to play with Mike Keneally and the Fire Merchants. And, uh, so, you know, I have a lot of different tools in the studio, but I found that when I go out live, uh, I ended up taking three Mike Lulls. You know, that's the way it's been for me for a long time. You know, I take the I take the, the, the M5, the Modern 5, which is the bright jazz bass with the maple fingerboard, maple top, ash body. Uh, and then I will take for the dark chocolatey sound. I'll take the, the passive PJ, which is an alder body with a with a rosewood fingerboard, and 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 that you know I like the PJ because it gives you that kind of woolly P thing, but there's the definition of the J behind it, uh, and when you get on it, it, it kind of breaks up a little bit, like the way that like those the, the the bass does on like Stevie Wonder, like you know Nathan Watts like songs in the key of life, you know that thing. It just kind of just gets gnarly. Uh, and then for the really fast modern compressy thing, uh, I'll use the BBM F5, which is essentially a Mike Lowell version of that kind of Spectre formula, but it's a bolt on, of course, because it's a Mike Lowell, not a neck through, which means that I can set it up to my very, very, very specific exacting standards, which you can never really do with a neck through unless you get a magic, magic instrument. Uh, and there's just no telling how those are going to go. So.
So the big blades are ceramic and they're the Nordstrand big blades and they kind of, they feel like sort of like a big Almaco pickup and an EMG. They kind of get that weird sweet spot in between. It's like this. Boop, boop. You know the big blades. Uh, um, I, I know Carrie. Uh, Carrie did a great thing for me. Well, first of all, when I, when I was on my journey to try and get, there was a little while there for two or three years where, uh, and all Michael knew about it and, and, uh, and they were, they couldn't have been cooler about it, about like watching me kind of go on a little bit of a tonal journey, yeah, yeah. uh, where I got the Spectre neck throughs and I loved the way they sound, but I didn't like the way they felt. And then Spectre became very interested in trying to make a bolt on that I would want to play because obviously that was the thing that I enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, and no matter what they did, their bolt-ons just, they didn't do it for me, but I had a bolt-on that we tried, oh my God, we must have tried 10 different pickups in them. And one of them was the big blades. And the big blades were super cool. They were, I think they were my favorite out of all of them. Nice. And then, and then we had a custom preamp that Carrie Nordstrom did. Mm. We were, we were fucking with the, with the EQ points and the preamp curve and everything. And I just couldn't get, you know, after a while you can't make an orange and apple. And it was just, we just gave up. But when, uh, when I was done with that, uh, I realized that I had this, this Ibanez, I think it's an SRX 535, which is like their Korean import, uh, uh, five string. Mm -hmm. I, I got it in a, uh, from Jeff Carano, who owns a store in Poughkeepsie, New York, uh, for nothing. It was, it, the neck was so thrashed, it wouldn't even make notes on parts of it. Uh, and then stock electronics were in it. But it had some kind of weird vibey thing. I couldn't really describe it. So I, I, just, I, just, I just picked it up. And I had the neck plucked. And, and then, you know, I actually used it for a couple songs on my album because I wanted a really low-fi kind of shitty sounding with a pick, you know, really thin uh, <laughs> thing to, because that's kind of part of the Trent Reznor Nine Inch Nails formula is to have a really small sounding bass guitar, which can be literally like a guitar part while there's a pad of low synth keyboards that are really holding down the bottom end. And I did it and it was cool, but I still felt like the, the electronics, the stock electronics were kind of a joke. So I went to Carrie and I said, you know, I really wish this thing could be like a Music Man. And he's like, you know, I make a drop-in Music Man preamp and pickup substitute electronics package. I said, no, I didn't know that. He said, you want me to do it? I said, sure. He says, yeah, but I'm going to have to cut out this huge hole at the front of the instrument. I'm like, I don't care. So he hogged out this gigantic rectangle out of the front of the thing and put his electronics in it. And now it sounds like a Music Man. But, it, but it's got a weird kind of plinky, lo-fi vibe about it still. So Carrie and I went back and forth uh, a lot about all that stuff. And uh, he, was, he couldn't have been more gracious about what we were trying to do with that Spectre. And, and even though we never really got to the finish line, you know, I got to check out a lot of his stuff and it's obviously all great. great. He makes a killer music man thing. Before I was with Mike Lowe, I was with another, I was, well, I'll just say it, I don't care. I was with Modulus, but I had this tertiary period in between where I'm like, oh, I kind of like the sound of Music Man, you know, these Stingrays live. And then I was, I got a lot of more recording work. I'm like, oh, I hate these in the studio. <laughs> they, they, they're tough. You, you got to really, I mean, so, and again, I, I keep coming back to Trent because, you know, the Music Man is a, is a big thing of his when he plays bass. If you go back to, uh, if you go back to the downward spiral and you listen to Big Easy of the second song, which is like that, the words just, a, a completely broken down drum beat 
his vocal in the bass. That's all it starts off, just like, you know, do 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 I mean, like, it's an unmistakable sound of bright strings on a music man, you know, being played fairly carefully. And they have a kind of a rattle that is, it's really only them. And I remember when I, when, when I, when I got uh, Carrie's replacement set, the very first thing that I did was I sat down and played that. And I played it with a pick, and I was just like, "Oh, that's it! He did it! He did it!" Right. You know. But they, yeah, they can they can be kind of a, a woolly beast. Uh, they can be plinky. They can be be weird and kind of you know like woofy. They're 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 hard to. I mean, God bless the people who really can get around them. Do the woofy or have no balls if you want yeah. too bright with it. And I remember in the studio and the artist is like, that's not what I want. I'm like, give me a jazz bass. <laughs> okay, there we are, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I only use it for specific things. I mean, I haven't, uh, I brought it out once live and I think I would need to do a little bit more work on it, uh, you know, to get the gain structure right uh, so that it matches my other instruments. But it could be a thing for when I'm playing it with a pick, but I think only then. And I, I suck with a pick anyway. I'm not a big player either, you know. I used to do Blue Man shows to pick, but you know it is what it is, you know. You're the only guy that can do it without a pick, right? Because they require it. Is that what you said? That's right. They do require it. I. That's it. These two, these fingers. That's it, man. So. The chosen one. Uh, or the old one. Who <laughs> <laughs> yeah. will like it? You know, yeah. I'm the guy who stuck around. <laughs> you know. Man, no, that's cool. It's, it's, it, I like hearing about what's going on and uh, the record, you know, I, you know, so I, I picked up the record, you know, your record, your solo record. And uh, it's interesting because it's nothing like the other stuff at all. You know, it's nothing like the aristocrats, right? You know? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I mean, obviously you're writing for a trio and, and the whole vibe of the aristocrats, which is just fun, rambunctious, take the piss out of everything yeah. versus this, you know, grandiose, serious statement that I was trying to make with my solo album, which is like two different emotional worlds completely. But if you, I think, you know, a careful listen would probably reveal some songwriting characteristics that carry over into just about everything that I do, even though the timbre and, and, and other things are. Oh man, you can hear you. If I sit back and put on the cans, I'm like, oh. That's Brian. <laughs> I mean, there's the thing is that you can't really, you know, it is what it is. You're the sum of your parts and you are what you eat. You are what you've listened to. I've listened to what I've listened to throughout my life. And, you know, what comes out is a reflection of that. Uh, whether it's writing for a trio or, or, or writing for a kind of a larger arrangement band, like I've been, I was mostly doing on this album that I just put out. Uh, but even the aristocrats are getting, we have to be careful because eventually we have to go play that stuff live as a trio. We resolved never to use tracks. Yeah. Uh, because that just goes against everything that the whole yeah. Was. Um, Not that I have any, I have nothing against tracks. Believe me, if I ever tried to perform my album live, lots of tracks. <laughs> you know, I mean, it would have to be a six person band plus yeah. tracks. That's the only way it would ever happen. And I've thought about it. The Brian uh, Miller Orchestra. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a big progressive thing. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's I, I, there's no, there's no judgment here. I, I don't have a problem with that. But for the aristocrats, that would be just weird. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we have, we, we get in the studio and we, we layer a little bit, but we're always trying to keep an eye on it. Like, okay, you know, what's, what, what's going to happen later with this? That's cool. 
Like Are you movie. talking to those guys? You talking? I'm assuming you're talking to Guthrie and Mark. Oh yeah, we're there. working on. Well, we just announced that we're going to be releasing a live album because you know we were on tour in early 2020 from January 14 to March 6. Wow. Our tour ended on March 6. Like we went right up to the line. We got really lucky. We didn't have to cancel. We had to cancel two dates in Northern Italy. We had. I was in Italy from February 13 to February 24, right when it started. I was there when it started and I was, we were in the North and they were, people were starting to talk about it. Then we went down South, did a few dates and we were coming back up North to do the last two dates. And those two dates were the first two cancellation dates really in the world. Like the first, because the, the, the Northern Italian provinces basically shut down February 23rd. And that was the beginning. And, uh, and, and then we had to get out of Italy really fast to make sure that we weren't going to get stuck. Uh, so you know we but but it's nice to be able to say hey this is a live the, the album is, is called freeze uh live in europe 2020 you know because live in 2020 it's like not everybody can say they did that oh. mm -hmm. so uh so we, we we pretty much just put the album to bed uh uh yesterday actually wow uh yeah so we're just you know waiting for all that you know we gotta output the masters and get all the you know, artworks done and, and it's gonna be coming out in the next couple months so yeah we've been Lots of emails. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's how it goes. And we've got a couple other tricks up our sleeve, but I can't talk about them yet. That's no, cool. that's fine. That's fine, man. I mean, that's awesome. it, it'll be nice if you guys can uh, start doing everything in the fall again and stuff. That would be, that'd be sweet. Well, you know, one thing, uh, because we did get most of the aristocrats cycle in before the world shut down, you know, the, the, you know, what came out in 2019 in summer, 2019, we did North America for eight weeks. And then we did Europe six weeks before the holidays. And then six weeks after the holidays. Uh, and then that was right up to March 6. We never did our Asian South America. Those runs got canceled, but we did most of what we were going to do. Joe Satriani didn't get to do anything. His album was released, was scheduled for release on March 10, I think it was. Can you imagine getting an album come out on March 10? And they put it out. It's a good album. And we were going to tour that album. Uh, even though I didn't play on that album, we were going to tour it. But of course, it didn't get toured. And no, it was a real bummer year. I was I was psyched to take Duvateri to, to Asia. We were going to do nine days in Asia. Yeah. And I mean, for me, that's that was a great thing. And yeah. Well, everybody, I mean, I remember being over in Europe and just, you know, we, you know, we were done on March 6th, you know, I think that the, the Trump announced the first flight travel restrictions, I think it was March 10. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, we just watched, there were some acts out there that were still going, but everybody, they just kind of fell like satellites out of the sky, one after the other, after the other, just cancel, 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 cancel. I think my last show was the 12th, yeah. 13th, like that Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And then it was the and I remember saying, oh, we're, we're going to mellow out for three weeks. We have this three-week shutdown. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is fine. Three weeks, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, I mean, you know, when I get back to the States, of course, having been in Italy and seeing what was starting to happen, you know, I came back to L.A. and, you know, uh, and I don't want to get on this. God, it knows everybody's talked about COVID forever. But I remember coming back and, you know, my people, my friends at the UPS store, who I go, they're like, oh, so what was it like? I'm like, are you watching the news? Do you, do you know what's going to happen here in about a week? And they were just looking at me like I was nuts, you know, like they can't just shut everything down. I'm like, oh, yeah. So the thing that's going to happen 
because of the way that my two gig schedule worked out is that when touring starts again, you know, Joe is going to go because Joe's the one who got shut down. And so, you know, uh, it, I think it, it could be a little while before the aristocrats are back out there because I can only be in one place at a time. And we did a whole cycle almost with the aristocrats and Joe has, hasn't gone out now since 2018. So by the time it, it goes out, it's, it's, you know, we're looking at like late 21 or early 22, that's four years. So that's pretty brutal. Uh, but I mean, what's going to happen, of course, <clears throat> everybody's going to want to go out all at once the second that, it, that it's okay. Yeah. You know, there's only so many venues. That math doesn't really work. Yeah. And maybe less because some didn't survive. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. So that's, yeah, that's it's, I think the big problem is going to be there's not going to be enough places to play. Uh, because there's going to be what everyone's going to want to go out. You know, I think the demand for live entertainment is going to be is going to be big as soon as we can do it. But the problem is where is everybody going to play? So it's a good opportunity for, for you know, people who are successful and have uh, uh, liquid capital to be able to maybe invest in, in getting a venue up and running really fast because I think there's going to be a demand for that yeah. more than is, is existing at the time when the world opens back up but that takes time yeah. wow. Wow. so we'll, we'll just how it goes let's um where would, can we find all your socials? I mean, I know it's probably self-explanatory, but we'd like to hear from your mouth. Where can we find everything on you? Sure. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Brian Beller. Yeah, I got in early. B-R-Y-A-N-B-E-L-L-E-R. I'll put links, all this stuff, I'll put a little link under you. Like, sure. Magically appear. Uh, yeah, my website is brianbeller.com, B-R-Y-N-B-E-L-L-E-R.com. And uh, I have a web store there. Cool. That links to all of the, you know, I have... I have physical merchandise stores both in the U.S. and also in the U.K., uh, EU. Although now those are two separate things. Uh, but yeah, there is there. If you're in the European mainland and you're watching this, there's a warehouse over there that you can order from and ship from, so you're not paying ridiculous shipping from the states. Uh, it links directly to my Bandcamp page, which is a great place for high-res digital audio. Uh, and then, of course, you know the streaming services are there. You know, I don't judge. Uh, a lot of people just listen that way. If you want to check it out, you know, go for it. But if you want to support the artist, then you know what to do. Uh, and so then my Facebook is uh, Brian Beller Bass. So it's facebook.com slash Brian Beller Bass. And my Instagram is also Brian Beller Bass. Cool. And then we're going to finish off with three questions, actually. Three, three, okay. three. All right. All right. All right. Steve, start. Steve. <laughs> All right. Well, you have obviously been around you've studied with a lot of people but maybe somebody that's uh you know from the way past something who would you have loved to study with that you didn't study with living or dead oh god uh, uh you know I, I would love it if uh if i could have a series of lessons with john schofield about like Whoa. this thing about improvising I like that. Just, you know, yeah. to me, he's just the greatest improviser I've ever heard. Yeah, he's... Uh, he's still alive. Yeah, he is. I don't know if his rates are reasonable or not. We'll, so we'll, put, it, we'll put it out there in the universe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never really... 
Yeah, I didn't go all the way into jazz theory anyway. I mean, I know, I know. Did you study with Benakis at all, Charlie Benakis? Um, no, I never, I never. I made a decision when I was at Berkeley. I was either going to go all the way into jazz or just keep doing kind of what I wanted to do. And yeah. So it was just one of those things where it was like I had to really do the thing that was inspiring me. So I didn't go all the way into jazz. I'm sure well, that's well, the first thing that John Schofield would tell me. Well, do you really want to do this? <laughs> well, the great thing is like his Modesky Wood, all that stuff, his group yeah. stuff. I mean, he went from tickets live to you know i mean he's gone the whole gamut he's great man so i can't remember who said it the, the thing that, that makes john schofield so great is that he makes you know he brings complexity and depth to simple music yeah and he brings simplicity to complex music mm. i love that always tell people nice. if you want to like well what's a good you know if you, when they're getting into fusion or whatever or some younger guys whatever i'm like go back and listen to loud jazz. Yeah. Listen to that record. Yeah. My favorite, that's a great record. And of course we all grew up with that. And that Blue Matter, uh, Electric Outlet, Still Warm, those four albums in a row. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the period of uh, his acid jazz period, the where it was, uh, you know, A Go-Go, yeah. Bump, and Up All Night, those three albums. Yeah. Yeah. Those albums. So there's, so there's yeah. Mine is Pick Hits Live because Granger and Fuck yeah. and his Chambers. Yeah. That's that's it for me. That opening fucking groove and bass lick is just that's Desert Island for me. It is fat. So, John so, would John, would you start with the next question actually? It might All right, be, let's it, see. It might it's lead been in. a while. You want me to All right. All right. So along kind of along the same lines, living or dead, who would you like to sit down and have a meal with? Anybody? Anybody. Yeah. Anybody? In history, whatever. And you can see the gears turning. Hmm. <laughs> God, anybody. Uh... Or, we could, or we could say musician or artist in the artist. No, 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 no. Make them think. Anybody. <laughs> anybody? <laughs> anybody? Uh... George Orwell. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I would want to transport George Orwell to now. Oh, fuck <laughs> that. He would shit his pants. Like what? And, and then also, I think, I mean, any one of the, any one of the, uh, uh, of the, the founding fathers of the United States. All right. Well, transported to now. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, let's have, let's, let's, let's talk about how it turned out. Or, <laughs> what do you think of this? Yeah. Orwell would be like this. Yeah. Orwell would be like, no fucking way. Orwell would be like, I told you, assholes. Yeah. It will he would either be that way or he'd be like, I was I never thought it would come true. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. That's and the last question. Last question here. Um who would you like to jam with? Who would you like to play with? Did I get that right, Steve? Yes, you did, sir. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Look at that. All three of them. One question. Yeah. This is the first time. Well, you know, that, I, I mean, you know, Schofield will qualify for that as well. I would, exactly. I would, I would love to just be able to play bass on a groove while he just improvised. Oh. Uh, but, you know, he's not the only one. I mean, no. I, I, would, I would love, I mean, if I could just play with John Bonham. Well, that would make me pretty happy. With who? With John Bonham. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Also, also, if I could be the bass player uh, for one Rage Against the Machine show. Yes. Fair. I 
like that too. I would, I wouldn't have to play a gig ever again. Yeah, let's go. Hey Timmy, just one song. Just yeah, exactly. One song. I, I'll just, I'll just plug into your rig. I won't tell anybody what that pedal does. Exactly. <laughs> well, he won't tell you what it does. Yeah, you know I what know, I mean? Exactly. I mean, just plug me in. I don't have to. I won't yeah. look at. It. I don't even have to. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. That's, that's some good answers, man. We, yeah, mm-hmm. I like it. We, we get some, we get some good answers. I was not expecting the bottom thing. I fucking love that. Oh, I mean, that's yeah. The big weird joke of my whole career is that my entire musicality and playing machine was designed to be a rootsy, earthy bassist. And then because of my career path, I got put onto the kind of Zappa musician path where it's always been a bit of a strange fit. Uh, you know, I've adjusted to be able to technically accomplish what I need to be able to do yeah. most of the time to be able to keep up with the people that I've been playing with. But uh, it, I, th- this car wasn't designed to drive on this racetrack. And, uh, you know, I, I always try and remember that I, that I try not to do more than I need to do uh, because after all, we're playing bass anyway. Uh, and the bassists who are really, 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 really doing extended technique, they're doing it great. They don't need me trying to do it. You know, I just want to be the John Paul Jones of my circle. I, that's a good thing to aspire to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it. Nice. Like it. Yeah. Well, boys, thanks so much. You know. Oh, yeah. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. we're scheduling this five times until we finally put it together. Uh, this go. has yeah. been the most difficult scheduling one, yes. but that's okay. I think we all hit the ball on either side of the. We got it, man. Isn't it, isn't it yeah. weird how like we have more time at home than ever, but we're busier than ever? Do you find mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh yeah. What's that about? Oof. It could be worse. My daughters, you know, I have two daughters, and they're taking more of my time now than ever. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's crazy. Have you seen the? Uh, the, uh, the 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 articles side by side. One of them says, uh, I, "I think that you know we should work at home forever," and the other one says, "It's time for you to go back to work." <laughs> and the one that says, "I think you should work at home forever," was written by a dog, and the one that says that you should go back to work is written by a cat. Cat's <laughs> like, "Leave me the just don't, just leave." Right. Oh man. So as Steve says, we, we stop recording right now and we hang on for just a minute. And, and okay. Yeah, so we say goodbye happens. to the public right. and then we talk shit afterwards amongst ourselves. <laughs> well, like, I can never say that line. I'll, I'll, that's I'll tell more stories that aren't fit for public consumption. That's, exactly, that's exactly. So episode 23, Big Bottom. Brian Bella, can't thank you enough, my friend. Glad you're well, healthy, and uh, we're going to do this again. We'll do another one on down the road. Thank you very much for having me. Maybe you. see you at NAM 2022. Who knows? Maybe. 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 All right, everyone. We'll see you guys. Hang on, guys. I'm going to stop recording.